You know, it, it's, it's really cool. I'm sitting here where you are listening to Travis, and he was kind of, you know, laying out what he's going to be doing, and it is just incredible to think that the light of Jesus and the light of the gospel is penetrating dark places all over this world, and may God raise up Travis and many, many more people like him to do that work of that ministry. It's just awesome. Well, good morning from me. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for being here this morning. God is doing some really, really exciting things here at Redeemer. Glad that you guys are here this morning. We're going to start this morning with a little survey kind of slash pop quiz. And so get ready, all right? Let me just ask a a quick question. If you would, just raise your hand if this is true about you. In the last few days, how many of you have used some sort of a PIN number? Maybe uh, to access your bank account or to uh, unlock your phone. How many of you have used a PIN number? Okay, a bunch of us. Okay, put your hand down. How many of you have used a password in the last few days? Anybody get into your email or buy something on Amazon? Okay, a bunch of us. My favorite of all, how many of you have used that little chip thingy on your credit card at the grocery store? I hate those things. How many of you have used that? All right, a bunch of us. It is just part of the world that we live in today, uh, to keep some bad guy from stealing our identity, just about every single day, about every single one of us, we declare our identity and let, us, let others know that we are who we're supposed to be, who we are, who we say we are. Well, I thought about that this morning as I was, or this past week actually, as I was preparing our message for this morning, because we've been learning so far through this series, going through the I am statements from the book of John, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was declaring his identity. Now, he wasn't doing it to, you know, get into his bank account or to keep some guy from hacking his Twitter account. He wasn't doing that. Uh, But what Jesus was doing, he was declaring his identity so that lost people people who were just like you and me, people who were lost and, and, and without hope and in need of a Savior would know that a Savior had come. So Jesus was declaring his identity. And in the first week, we learned that Jesus is the bread of life, that he could come and fill us. He could satisfy us at the deepest level of our soul with life. Last week, we learned that Jesus, he declared his identity, he's the light of the world, and that whoever would follow him, he would give them what? The light of life. This morning, we're going to look and see where Jesus declares that he is the door of the sheep. And just like we said last week, when Jesus, with these I am statements, when he's declaring his identity, he is revealing truth about himself that we need to know. But it's more than that. He's not just declaring truth about himself for us to know. He's also declaring truth about us, some truth that we need to know about ourselves. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, open it up with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning, okay? John chapter 10. Uh, The first thing I want you to know as we uh, drop in this morning to this text is just like always, the context here is really, really important. That's something we always need to keep in mind, right? Just like in real estate, where the three most important things are location, 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 when it comes to knowing and understanding the Bible, the three most important things are context, 
context, context, okay? So as we drop into this text this morning, let me tell you a couple things that was going on. First of all, there really is no break between chapter 9 and chapter 10. I, I know it says chapter 10 there, but, but these two chapters, chapter 9 and 10, are both talking about the very same event. Jesus is talking to the same group of people. He's addressing the same issues. This is a continuation of the same conversation. So real quick, let me tell you what chapter 9 was about. Um, chapter 9 was about a man who had been blind from birth. And as he grew up, he became a beggar. And as God would have it, one day he encounters Jesus. And Jesus, out of his great compassion and his desire to show his great glory, Jesus heals this man and gives him back his sight. It's awesome, all right? But then as you, as you read a little bit further on in chapter 9, the, the Pharisees and the other so-called spiritual leaders of Israel come along. If you know anything about these guys, that's not so awesome. The Pharisees come and they, they confront this man who had been born blind and who had been healed. And they confront him and they started grilling him, asking him all kinds of questions. And eventually, out of disdain for this man and a hardened heart toward Jesus, they just kick this guy out. They kick him out of the temple and he's just out of their surroundings. He's out of their fellowship. And because of that, because of that background, Jesus says what he says in John chapter 10. These supposed spiritual leaders of Israel who had treated this man so harshly, Jesus is now going to respond to that in John chapter 10. This morning we're going to look at the first 10 verses. And I think if you want to kind of group these verses under some categories, we can group the first six verses, verse 1 to 6, under the heading true and false, and then the last couple of verses, verse 7 to 10, under plain and clear. Okay, true and false, that's verse 1 to 6. Plain and clear, that's verse 7 to 10. Let's take a look at it together in verse 1. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Um, again, in this first section this morning, Jesus is concerned with showing the difference between the true spiritual leader and those who are the false spiritual leaders. And to do that, he's going to use a very widely known and very easily understood word picture. All the people who were listening to Jesus would have instantly understood exactly what he was talking about. Because when Jesus talked about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds, the people were like, I'm right there with you. Gotcha, Jesus. I understand exactly what you're talking about. In that area, in, in that place there near Jerusalem, both back then and still today to a certain extent, there were sheep and shepherds everywhere, all over the hilly, rocky hills of that area. They were filled with sheep and with shepherds. And so the people there, again, knew exactly when Jesus talked about sheep and shepherds. They were like, I got you, Jesus. I'm reading you. 
These shepherds had a pretty difficult job. They worked very long days. They were out in the hot sun. They had to keep track of all these sheep who sometimes would wander off or perhaps there'd be some predator that would try to get them or even a robber or a thief might try to steal them. And so these shepherds had a difficult job. But uh, it's not only that the people who were listening to Jesus understood about sheep and, and shepherds, but they also, on top of that, had a further understanding of this idea of sheep and shepherds. They knew that in the Old Testament, that shepherds and sheep were a very common illustration for how God cared for his people. Over and over again, you see this image of sheep being cared for by shepherds as an illustration of how God, the Lord God of Israel, cared for his Flock. Let me just give you a few quick examples, including one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, Psalm 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, here's another one from Psalm 95. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Again, these people... They're listening to Jesus. They had this as their understanding. They knew from the Old Testament that this was kind of a, a picture or a metaphor for how God cared for his people. There's one more passage from the Old Testament um, that I actually want you to turn and look at in our, in our Bibles together. So if you would keep your finger there in John 10 and turn back to the book of Ezekiel, verse 34. Ezekiel 34. Now I know Ezekiel is not one of the most... Uh, commonly read books in our Bible. So if you need to use your table of contents to get there, that's totally fine. Um, Ezekiel is a fairly long book. It comes after Isaiah, after Jeremiah, and right before Daniel. Okay, so you got, got Ezekiel 34? Let's take a quick look at this together. Let me just read together from Ezekiel 34. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. The Son of Man was a name that God used to address Ezekiel. And so he's saying, I want you to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds have fed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. And they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field, and they were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill, and my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. God is saying that these leaders, these, these spiritual leaders that he had raised up and assigned to care for his people, to care for his flock, they were falling down on the job. They were neglecting their work. And more than that, they were abusing the sheep 
all for their own benefit. It's not good. But look what Jesus, look what what the Lord says in verse 10. He says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against these shepherds and I shall demand my sheep from them and and make them cease from feeding the sheep. But look now and see what God's going to do. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he was among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down in good grazing ground, and they will feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. This is pretty incredible. Because of God's faithful love, because of his covenant promises to his people, God is going to rescue the sheep from these shepherds that had been neglecting them. He's going to rescue his sheep and call them out, call them to himself, and he's going to feed his sheep. He's going to be sure that they're loved and well cared for, that they have pasture and a place of rest. That's awesome. This is a beautiful picture. But how's God going to do it? How's he going to make this happen? Skip down to verse 23. It says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Who is this one shepherd? Who is this one shepherd that God is going to raise up to care for his flock? He mentions his servant David, but David had lived and died a long time before this was even written. This is none other than the son of David, the Messiah of Israel who's going to come and gather his people, who's going to gather people not just from Israel, but as it says, from all over the world, from every country. He's going to gather his flock to himself and be sure that they are loved and cared for and they find rest in God's final kingdom. This is a beautiful picture and a powerful promise of the fact that God is going to send Messiah to shepherd his flock. And as you come back here to John chapter 10, what you're seeing is that Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, He has come. He has come for his sheep. And certainly, Mitch's next week is going to have a lot for us to to teach us about what Jesus says about himself as the good shepherd. But this morning, as we look at these first 10 verses, again, what we're seeing is the difference between this bunch of false shepherds who had fallen down on the job and the one true shepherd, Jesus. Let's look again at how this passage begins in John 10. In verse 1, again, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but they'll flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Back in that day, the shepherds had two different kinds of sheepfolds or holding pens for their sheep. Later in the passage, we're going to hear about the other kind of sheepfold. But, but here, when Jesus is describing this, he's talking about this idea of a kind of a community sheepfold. In that area of the world, just about every village had a, a sheepfold. It was a real s- simple enclosure it had four, you know, walls or four kind of boundaries, if you will, and it had a gate at the front of it. And all the shepherds from that village, at the end of the day, they would bring their flocks back to the village, back home, and all the shepherds would lead their sheep into this community sheepfold, and they would all go there to rest or to eat or whatever, and all the shepherds would, would take their sheep in there, and then the shepherd would hire a doorkeeper. The doorkeeper would stay there all night. And that way the shepherds could go home and get a good night's sleep, get ready for the next day. And also the doorkeeper could keep any bad guys from coming to steal the sheep. Okay? In the morning, something pretty important would happen, something pretty amazing. All the shepherds would come back to the sheepfold. And one by one, the shepherds would call out to their flock. And as that shepherd called out to his flock, as he said, come on, Blackie, come on, Smokey, those sheep that belonged to that shepherd would hear his voice, they'd recognize it, and they would come out of the sheepfold and begin to follow their shepherd. It's a pretty amazing, pretty vivid and colorful picture. But what does it mean? What is this all about? Without even explicitly saying you can see that Jesus is portraying himself as the true, rightful shepherd of the people. He's saying that in contrast to these false shepherds. And in, in context, that's the Pharisees who have neglected the sheep and, and they were mistreating the people. They were failing in their role of leadership. Chapter 9 gave us a great picture of that when we saw how they handled the blind man. According to what Jesus says here in these verses, the true shepherd is shown by two primary things. There are two things that, if you will, kind of uh, show that that true shepherd is, in fact, true. In verse 1, again, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you that he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, that guy's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So entering by the door is a sign. But the next, it says, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That's another way that the true shepherd is shown. So again, the, the first thing that reveals that Jesus is the true shepherd is that he came to the sheep in the right way. Jesus met every criteria to be the true shepherd of Israel. 
First of all, he was of the line of David, right? We know that's, that's part of the criteria for being the Messiah. Secondly, he was born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. Those, again, those were, those were also criteria. He also came and opened the eyes of the blind man. That was another sign or criteria of the one who would be the Messiah of Israel. And these are just a few of the many messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled perfectly. Jesus is the true shepherd of Israel. But not only that, it says that when he calls the sheep, the sheep hear his voice. That's another sign of the true shepherd. In chapter 9, with that story of the blind man and how the blind man responded to Jesus, it's such a beautiful picture of, again, when Jesus calls to his own, his own respond. These Pharisees, these spiritual leaders who were so proud of their traditions and so swept up in their own self-righteousness, they were the robbers and thieves that Jesus is referring to. These were the strangers whose voice uh, the, the sheep did not recognize. But Jesus, again, is the true shepherd. Now, Perhaps it shouldn't surprise us, given what we may know about these Pharisees, that when Jesus was saying all of this, they just completely missed it. It just went completely over their heads. That's why it says in verse 6 that this figure of speech that Jesus spoke to them, they did not understand what these things were, which he had been saying to them. In these first couple of verses, Jesus was trying to show the difference between the true shepherd and the false shepherds, But now, in these last few verses, Jesus is going to speak even more plainly and even more clearly. And so it says in verse 7, Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is still using this very well-understood word picture of sheep and shepherds, but now he's adding something new. Another one of our I am statements where he says, I am the door of the sheep. What's this all about? Well, this was really helpful for me this last week. I was able to learn from some people who were real experts on life and culture back there in first century Israel. And uh, remember how I told you earlier that there were really two different kinds of sheep folds that the shepherds would use back then? We learned a minute ago about the one that was in the village, the community sheepfold. But there was another kind of sheepfold that the shepherds would use. And this was one they would use when their flock was way out in the country, away, away from the village. And it got toward the end of the day. They couldn't get back to the village. And so they would use what they called a country sheepfold. A country sheepfold. It was just basically like a corral that was boundaried on all sides by big, tall bushes or hedges or maybe some rocks. Uh, there was no, there was this, this, this big, you know, a big enclosure, if you will, with one opening where the sheep could go in and out. But here's the thing. There was no permanent door there. Didn't, didn't have a door in this one. But what happened, though, is the shepherd would lead his sheep into this country sheepfold at night And then the shepherd himself would lay down across that door so that the sheep couldn't get out unless they went over his body. In the most literal way possible, the shepherd was the door. 
These Pharisees, again, these false shepherds that Jesus is talking to, they thought of themselves as the gatekeepers, as the ones who were the, uh, the, the spiritual authorities of all things related to God. And they loved to think of themselves as being the guys in charge of the people who had the authority to teach and interpret and, and to kind of dispense of God's blessings to the people. But just as we just saw, we saw in John chapter 9 how they worked. Instead of rejoicing over this man who was one of their flock, being healed and receiving a great blessing from God, they disdained him and they rejected him. These false shepherds and others before them are in view when Jesus says what he says in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. And it really, I mean, these Pharisees, they were harming God's people. They were not doing good to them at all. It's a sad story, but I think what Jesus is really more interested in is showing, is showing that where the sheep should go. Again, who is the true shepherd? And so he's speaking it very plainly and clearly. So he says it again in verse 9. I am the door. I am the door. Now notice, Jesus is not saying, I am a door, or I am one of the doors. He says, I am the door. And when he says that, he speaks with very exclusive language. In just a few weeks, we're going to hear from uh, where Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus speaks with very exclusive language. I am the door of the sheep. And I can't help but remember some conversations I've had with some friends who are pretty close with me. And as I was talking to them about Jesus and about the fact that he is the true Savior, he is the one who can bring salvation, he is the true Savior of the world. When we got to that part, the people I was talking to just kind of pushed back from the table. And they kind of crossed their arms. and They were kind of shaking their head. And they said, it just sounds so arrogant. It sounds so narrow-minded, so harsh to say that Jesus is the only way. And my response to them is, you know what, I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. It would be arrogant. It would be harsh. And it would be narrow-minded if it weren't true. When Jesus, you know, has predicted before his death, that after three days he would rise again from the grave, when he did that, when he did rise again from the grave, that's a pretty good indicator that what he said was true. Okay? Jesus goes on to say that if anyone enters through him, then two things are going to happen. He says, I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. I'd love for you to circle or underline that word save because with it, um, this is a powerful word and when Jesus uses it, he's now moving away from metaphor of sheep and shepherds and now he's talking about people and people that come through him, they can be saved. They can, uh, they, they, they come through him and understand who he is what he came to do. They understand that he came to offer forgiveness 
and, and redemption to all who would trust in him, they can have salvation, the redemption of their souls, the, the freedom from the bondage of sin and death. That's huge. Those who come through the door of Jesus can be saved. But not only that, secondly, Jesus says that those who enter through him will go in and out and find pasture. This is an interesting phrase, this idea of going in and out. It was kind of a Hebrew, uh, if you will, idiom for being able to live a life that was safe and secure and one of peace. Jesus is saying that in him, when we experience salvation, we can have this beautiful and wonderful peace of being saved, of being reconciled to God. Now, is this saying that your life is going to be problem-free, that you'll never have any more questions and you'll, all of your needs will be taken care of? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But the biggest question of all, the biggest need that we have of how can we be in right relationship with the creator of the world, that question, that need has been met fully through Jesus. And so we can have peace. It's just like what, what uh, the Apostle Paul says over in the book of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think I've shared this story before, but I had a friend that I grew up with named John. John and I grew up all the way through junior high and high school together. We're still friends to this day. John uh, was this kid in junior high and high school who was so driven and so intense. He always had this kind of grim look on his face, like his jaw was always clenched. He was always so focused on having the best grades, having the highest GPA, being ranked number one in his class, okay? That was his goal, and so he was like driven. He didn't want to do anything else but study and just achieve. He just wanted to, to be number one, okay? So he just always had this look of intensity on his face. I went off to college at Texas A&M. I became a believer there in my junior year. And I came back to Denton that summer, and I had heard the good news that my friend John had also trusted Christ. And a few weeks later, when I saw John for the first time, I knew it was true. I knew it was true. I could tell from the instant I saw him because he looked different. Gone was that clenched jaw. Gone was that look of intensity on his face. Instead, there was a smile. There was a light in his eyes that I'd never seen before. John found peace. John had, had encountered Jesus, the door of the sheep, and he had gone through that door through trusting Jesus. And when that happened, he was saved, and John was now experiencing peace. Did that mean that everything was going perfectly in John's life? No. John had all sorts of challenges that we all do. But again, John was in a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of his sin, and the result was he had peace. Jesus is going to underline the, the, the value of that peace with what he says in verse 10. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 10, 10. 
Jesus puts it very plainly and clearly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In the immediate context, the Pharisees, these false shepherds, they are the thieves that come only to steal, kill, and destroy. But certainly behind them is the thief, our great enemy, Satan, who wants to oppose God's plan and oppose God's people. But again, Jesus, the one who is the bread of life, the one who is the light of the world, the one who is the door of the sheep, he came to give those who enter through him life. And he came to give them life abundantly. Gave them to give them abundant life. What's that all about? What does it mean to have abundant life? Does that mean just having a perfect life with no problems, no issues? Does it mean always being healthy? Always being wealthy, always having every single thing at your beck and call. I think there's certainly, you know, those among us who might want us to think that way. But I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. When he talks about this abundant life, he's talking about the kind of life where you and I are truly living in him. Where we're not sort of puttering around and just kind of, you know, um, not really grounded in life. It's the kind of life where in every area of the life that we live, with our kids, with our spouse, at our school, at our job, all the areas of our lives are sweetened and seasoned because we're living those areas of our life with Jesus at the core. He is our foundation. And that, that peace that we have because of the fact that we are uh, found ourselves with Christ, we've gone through that door, that peace just overflows into the other areas of our life. Again, with our marriage, with our kids, at our job, at our school, we have abundant life because we're centered, we're strengthened, and we're planted with Christ. I think this text puts two primary questions out on the table for all of us to grapple with. And the first is this. Have you been saved? Have you been saved? You know, it strikes me that sometimes I kind of think of that as kind of an old-timey kind of revival word, but Jesus uses it here. And it really is a great word because it speaks of being rescued, of being redeemed. Have you been saved? If you're thinking in your heart right now, you know what? I don't think I've ever done that. May I just encourage you to not, you know, go and often just, you know, let this, hear this, this message and, and think about this and think, you know what, I'll take care of that later. I'll do it after I go home and have lunch and, and, and all my other stuff. I want to encourage you to, to really process this now. Don't let this uh, be something you put off. Do this something before you do anything else. It's critical, though, for us to be really clear on what Jesus is saying here about uh, about what it means to be saved, because lots of times there's confusion over it. Jesus is not saying you've got to clean up your life. He's not saying you've got to get your act together. You've got to make a whole bunch of resolutions to change your life, and then you can be saved. No, Jesus says, 
I am the door. And if anyone comes through me, he will be saved. He's talking about faith, admitting that we are great sinners and that he is a great savior. And if that's where you are this morning, I want you to know the promise of the gospel is that this great savior, Jesus, can forgive you of your sin, adopt you into his family, and begin the process of changing you from the inside out. That can happen today. If you have questions about that, if you want to talk more about that, love to talk with you about it. But there's another question that this text puts out there on the table, and this really concerns those who have already been saved, who have already uh, gone through that door and are walking with Jesus Christ as Savior, and it concerns this abundant life that Jesus came to give. And the question is simply this. Are you experiencing this abundant life? Is it part of your daily experience? When Jesus talks about, I have come to have life and have it abundantly, are you saying, yeah, that's me, or man, I wish I had that? Maybe um, there are things like worry or anxiety that are kind of blocking us from having this abundant life. It could be a life-controlling addiction or in bondage to some sort of a sin. Maybe without even knowing it, you've looked to someone or something else to give you life instead of Jesus, and now that idol is just crushing you. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Perhaps a great takeaway for you this morning is to spend some time identifying what is it that's keeping me from experiencing that abundant life. Let me see if I can put my finger on it or my finger on those few things that perhaps are blocking me from experiencing this abundant life. And once you've identified that, the next step is this, to repent and believe. To repent and believe. We repent and declare that 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 we were looking to is not giving us life. It's only giving us death. And we believe again that Jesus, the one who is the door of the sheep, he is the one who has come to give life. And again, if you have questions about that, if you want to pray together, if you want to talk about that or anything else that we've talked about this morning, love to have that conversation with you. Jesus is the door of the sheep. Anyone who comes through him, they will be saved and they'll go in and out and find pasture. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's amazing to learn more about who you are, to learn more about what you came to do. In our study so far, we've learned that you're the bread of life, and that's just awesome. Last week, the light of the world, and man, it's incredible to know that you're with us, that you guide us, that you provide for us. But Lord, thank you that you're the door of the sheep, that we don't have to Uh, figure it out on our own or, or try to achieve or meet some certain criteria in order to know that we have salvation. You made it so plainly, so plain and clear that 
that anyone who comes through you, who uh, knows who you are and believes that you are the Savior who has come to give life, that we can be saved. Thank you for being that kind of Savior. Thank you for also the fact that you give your sheep abundant life. That we don't have to look to all the million things in this world to give us life because truthfully, Lord, they can't. They make great promises, but they fail us every time. But you never fail us. You give us that abundant life, both here on this earth and then after we die for all eternity, we will know the best of life. So we praise you, Jesus. Thank you for being a great Savior. Thank you for being the shepherd who comes to, to call us to yourself. What great joy we find in you. We love you and we thank you so much for loving us first. It's in your name we pray. Amen.